0: Thousands died and millions were displaced in a matter of moments following the violent earthquake that hit Syria and Turkey. While many are trying to rebuild their lives, there is one group for whom the earthquake destroyed their whole world. And that's children and babies. Some have lost their parents, and even a month on, at least 160 are still unidentified. Horror, devastation and heartbreak is what the majority of children in Syria and Turkey have endured as a result of a deadly earthquake that violently shook the region in the early hours of February 6, 2023. The quakes and hundreds of aftershocks have left 850,000 children displaced. For many, their bedroom was their safe place. But on the morning of February the 6th, many of them woke up under the rubble. They are now displaced and unable to return home. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Mina El-Jaroubi. And this week, we're looking at child survivors of the earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria. What happened to them after they were found under the rubble and how humanitarian agencies have protected them. If you want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they're out, just hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. The 7.8 magnitude earthquake killed over 50,000 people, with thousands of others injured and massive destruction to buildings and other essential infrastructures in both countries. Over 7 million children have been impacted. International aid agencies have warned that children whose families have died may be at risk of trafficking. Even those with families to go home to may face issues in the aftermath of the quake. When I was driving around
1: Aleppo City, so a few hours after, the children were very bewildered, very worried. They were in their pyjamas, they didn't have blankets, they didn't have shoes. You know, they were just there and they weren't able to go back to their homes. But um, very quickly, the authorities stepped in and they opened up schools and shelters. They opened up mosques and churches and very, very quickly, uh, blankets were provided, hot meals were provided, first
0: aid. That was Angela Kearney, the United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF's representative in Syria, sharing her firsthand experience in Aleppo and described the large and growing needs of children and families impacted by the quake. So very sadly,
1: the earthquake happened at 4 o'clock, 4.15 in the morning on a very cold winter's night. And so some children died immediately, and some children were found alive in the rubble. Of those children that were found alive in the rubble, most of them required hospital attention. So they were taken by the first aid people, so what we call the first responders, which were always Syrians in this case.
0: Neighbours across areas impacted in Syria were reaching out to people to help identify the children who were found under the rubble and were separated from their families.
1: People used a Facebook to put photographs of children up to identify. And so they had these um, neighbourhood groups together and in the first 24 hours, many, many children were identified and had relatives come and look them up. So we had, in a disaster like this, we had two types. We had... Children who are separated from their parents but are with a relative. Or we have what we call unaccompanied children, so who don't have a relative at the moment. We're still looking for a relative, we're still looking for someone. And in those cases, you know, we need to take over as UNICEF with our partners and with the authorities.
0: Amanda Bryden, Global Head of Children Protection Policy and Advocacy at Save the Children, said that the most vulnerable were those children who had been separated from their families.
2: It's really still quite a devastating and very real traumatic experience for children. I think often the children that have been affected by conflict in Syria, they confuse that maybe it it was a big bomb. The smaller children might not understand that it was a natural disaster or an earthquake. And so I think as well, it can be really challenging to explain to children what's happening. And I think the aftershocks in particular, there's been over 11,000 aftershocks in the past month are very much mean it's an everyday reality for children that they keep experiencing the shaking of the ground and the housing and so what that has meant for their psychological distress is that they're um, often still quite scared to go inside into buildings. We've heard of families who are worried about going back home and what that might mean for uh, the building with the ongoing shake so it's still very much a, an everyday reality for, for families. The that they're seeing.
0: Save the Children, among other groups, have been working endlessly to push for a proper reunification process and assisting unaccompanied children.
2: With a context like Syria, I think it's really important to remember the the compounding crisis and context that we're dealing with a situation and environment where communities and children are already affected by 12 years of conflict. And so, there wasn't a huge amount of what we call child protection systems available anyway. I think uh, in all of northern Syria or northwestern Syria, there was only kind of two or three trained psychologists or psychotherapists that could provide that specialised support. There's also a limited number of organizations that can provide case management or social worker support where there's children in need and identifying how to connect them up with services, if the services are available. So I think one month on for me and for, for, say, for children, one of the big concerns is being able to strengthen capacities of local and national organizations to provide that support to families. And Also meeting families' basic needs alongside those things like psychosocial support. So, you know, communities are are telling us they need shelter, they need to be able to return to their homes, so they need assessments that those homes are safe. And for children, that sense of normalcy and routine is really important for making them feel safe and and ensuring they're protected. So for us, meeting those immediate needs will mean, and, and considering their protection within that, getting them home safe, getting the school safely back open again. Ensuring that children
0: are safe and secure has been a top priority for aid groups. They are particularly concerned about unaccompanied children who may be at a higher risk of violence.
2: I think, really concerned for children that are unaccompanied and separated so that might that won't have those protective frameworks around them, being able to identify where they are, connect them up with services, find extended family members as soon as possible. It can be a bit of a race against time because the, the longer these children aren't connected into to, um families and supports, the more at risk they are of things like um, trafficking or violence or abuse. And particularly in some of the collective centres, there's no privacy or the bathroom facilities um, might be mixed or not well lit. And and so I think particularly unaccompanied separated children, children with disabilities, um, adolescent girls are, are all groups that local and national organizations and international organizations and donors need to be thinking about when they're planning their response so that we can ensure those protective factors and prevention activities are in place. So sort of in in addressing those immediate needs, but really as soon as possible, being able to get families back to their homes and, and back into school and into routine.
0: Education for children is essential for their mental health. Many groups have been pressing for schools and learning centres to reopen after the quake.
1: We've had 12 years of a civil war in Syria, and so already that most children were very vulnerable. So many children were out of school, many children didn't have access to clean water and sanitation. And what happened was the earthquake just made it catastrophe on top of the catastrophe. So the children really in the earthquake zone, so in Aleppo, in Latakia, and Hama, those government or provinces, they have got what we would call a double whammy, an extra problem.
0: Looking at the general overview, Syrians are grappling with rising displacement and severe trauma one month on. Although funding has been provided to support the aid agencies, the response remains alarmingly slow. Sama Hadid, the Norwegian Refugee Council's regional head of advocacy, media and communications, spoke about the consistent rise in displacement as Syrians remain in collective shelters and are on the streets.
3: Our teams are witnessing a rise in displacement and severe trauma amongst families and children who've suffered from the earthquake and the aftershocks as well. Families are now uh, in collective shelters uh, and some are also still in the streets. Um, And this is because their homes have been damaged, severely damaged. There's also a lot of trauma amongst families and they're too scared to go back to their homes in case there is another earthquake or aftershock. So there's definitely that fear, overriding fear amongst affected areas. We're also seeing a huge overcrowding in collective shelters where people have fled to. In some shelters, we've seen hundreds of people uh, and they have to take turns to sleep, to eat, to queue, to go to the bathroom. So the conditions are quite poor.
0: Trauma from multiple earthquakes and aftershocks has had a detrimental impact on children's emotional well-being across affected areas in the country. Funding has so far fallen short of the immediate needs of Syrians. As of March the 1st, less than half of the nearly 400 million that the UN says are needed for Syria has been provided by donors. Funding to NGOs first responders has continued to be slow and inadequate.
3: Some donors have been very generous and provided flexible funding, But we will definitely need more funding in the next phase of the response because we'll need to address long-term issues like recovery and rehabilitation, uh, particularly of shelter and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So whilst uh, donors are providing um, emergency funds, it's definitely not enough for the long-term recovery. And when it comes to other local NGOs and international NGOs, we know that funding has fallen short uh, for them. When you look at the UN appeal fund that was launched, only around half of it has been funded so far. But the actual money that's been released to the ground is much, much less. And the problem is that Syria was already facing a humanitarian and economic crisis before this earthquake. So this latest disaster will mean that it will take years for Syria to recover
0: The NRC has been supporting collective shelters and those displaced in communities in Syria's northwest. The conditions in these shelters remain poor, with women having to take long walks and stand in queues in order to use bathroom facilities. Overcrowding in camps and collective shelters poses long-term health and protection risks.
3: The shelters are overcrowded. They are safe, but of course there are huge needs you know, because we have up to hundreds of people in one shelter alone. According to our assessment, in working in 50 collective shelters, we see approximately 20,000 people currently residing in these spaces uh, across the board. And there aren't enough resources in these collective shelters to keep people going. So we definitely need to see more food assistance, again, trauma assistance, Uh, and to look at the long-term response. But in terms of what these shelters don't have, I mean, there's not enough water, food, or electricity at night. Um, It gets pitch dark at night as well. So we need to ensure that people can get back on their feet, that they have safe rebuilt homes to get back to um, and are given the assistance they need in the long-term as well.
0: Children in shelters need urgent emotional support in order to deal with the trauma they've endured. Their families have been speaking to aid groups about the importance of psychological help.
3: I think this earthquake has brought back dark memories for them. Families are really worried about their children going outside or being away from them as well, as they fear another earthquake may happen. Our teams are reporting that children are having nightmares, many can't sleep well. One father in northwest Syria told us If we as adults were frightened when the earthquake hit, how about these kids? They are constantly afraid. You speak to them and they panic. So it's definitely clear that children need urgent emotional support.
0: Without further resources and funding, both Syria and Turkey will be unable to recover from the crisis. It means that children will not be able to receive the right assistance they need to overcome their trauma.
3: We need international donor governments to continue providing emergency assistance uh, and emergency assistance funding to meet people's basic needs like food and water and shelter in, in the immediate sense. But moving forward, uh, Syria needs more support to recover. So this means that donor governments need to step up and provide uh, support that will give people dignified shelter in the long term that can rebuild water infrastructure and rebuild schools that have been damaged uh, by the earthquake. Uh, It's also important that donors don't cut funding to other humanitarian responses because there are also ongoing humanitarian needs outside of the earthquake. So we need to make sure that those other humanitarian responses aren't neglected and that donors don't cut their funding to Syria over the next few years. This was
0: Beyond the Headlines. I'm Mina Eldaroubi. Thanks to Samar Hadid, Amanda Bryden, and Angela Kearney. We were produced this week by Arthur Edison and Du'a Farid. If you want to get all the episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out, then just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app.